actual words of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Tell somebody I'm catching fire. So the word says that somebody who is a mature Christian can see evil when it's coming. They aren't just sorry about when it's done. They can see it coming down the stairs. Come on. That's where we need to get as believers as we catch fire, as we begin to allow the Spirit of God within us to take us down a brand new journey. And I want to help us get to a place where we are mature as believers and can recognize evil before it gets its hands on us instead of having to keep coming to the altar and saying, I did it again. So what I believe we've seen over the last generation or two is a great deal of, of milk, a great deal of spiritual immaturity in our culture. Somebody look at the person next to you and say, you should be a teacher. That Greek word for teacher means someone who has already mastered a subject. Now, all of us are growing in the word, every single one of us. But there ought to be elements of our journey where we have gotten to a place to where we look back and we say, I'll never do it again, and we mean it. We, it doesn't trip us up anymore. He's speaking to this group of Hebrew Christians and saying, the things that I'm speaking to you about, not that you should have knowledge of it, you should have mastery of it. And he's saying to them, but you're not in the place where you've mastered these principles. You're in a place where you should be teaching, but what I've taught and, and, and what I've taught you you've got to be teaching to others but i'm having to come back to you again and lay the foundation again in other words you didn't even keep the foundation i gave you so i've got to come back and take the elementary elements and principles of the faith and teach them to you again and all you get is milk because you're not ready for solid food as you look at our granddaughter we cannot put a filet mignon in front of her now she may smell it and in her infancy want to hold it and grab at it because she doesn't know what it is but to give her a piece of that meat would choke her because she can't chew it yet and would cause her great difficulty as she grows however she will learn and understand how to eat how to work food that's in her mouth and how to process that properly I, you know, I found so many churches around the country that when you start talking about the things of the kingdom and, and the covenant, real faith, the blood of Jesus, tithing and giving, as I watch as people just stare like they've never heard these principles before in their entire life. And, and there's no way you should have been in church for 3, 5, 15, 10, 20 years uh, and you don't know what a tithe is. I've been in churches all over this nation and you can tell where they're at when you begin to get in that atmosphere. You can tell without a shadow of a doubt that this is a milk church, this is a meat church, you can tell. There is no way you don't know what the blood of Jesus has done for you and the power that it has when you have been saved for a certain amount of time. You should be able to articulate that. You should be able to explain that. You should be able to discuss that. There is no way you should be 30 or 40 years in, in, in your relationship with God or be 30 or 40 years old having been in church since you were a child and you still don't know who the Holy Spirit is and what His activity is in your life and the gift He's given you to operate out of. 
These things should not be happening, but I've seen thousands of people in huge auditoriums that look successful. But when you start talking to them about the things of God, there's a void. And they have little or no ability to carry on a conversation about who God is, what he's doing, and how this work of God in them, and the kingdom that he's called each and every one of us to bring, how that's to be established. Because too many are like this group in Hebrews 5.12. You ought to have mastered it, but by now you still need the ABCs of the Christian faith because you need milk and cannot handle the real stuff. Hebrews 5.13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. In other words, he's saying, I can't come and build on your foundation and take you to the next level and give you solid food. The Greek word for solid food means that which will not give way. In other words, he's saying that mature Christians in the faith, they have something that does not move them no matter what environment they find themselves in. When you catch fire and you are in a place in your relationship with God where there is absolutely nothing that can persuade you, nothing that can knock you over, nothing that's going to take you off the road that God has put you on, understand at that point you are beginning to eat meat. You have engaged a spirit of God, the spirit of God within you, and engaged a relationship with your creator that is now planting you on a solid foundation. Some people change with whatever environment they are in. That's why you scare people and people don't want to be your friend because you get around one group and you act one way. Come on. You get around church people and you start acting churchy. You get around the club and you start acting like the club. Come on, somebody. Who am I talking to? So some, because some have not grown up in their faith and they're still moved by whatever environment they find themselves in. But when you catch fire, there is nothing that can persuade you to act in another way than what God has desired for your life. So when we talk about this principle of catching fire, understand we've got to develop from the infancy of milk to the maturity of the solid food. And when you are tested and the weight of life and responsibility gets dropped on you, what you are standing on can give way if you're not prepared. Because solid food means the word that does not give way and the word that will not let you be moved. I want to pastor some people in this church and online this morning who, when the storms of life start to blow, you can stand firm on the solid food that you have been digesting. I want to preach to people who will learn that when the weight and pressures of life increase on you and the, and the responsibilities are heavy upon you and this person left you and that person betrayed you, uh, that, that what you stand on does not crumble. I need somebody to catch the fire of the Holy Spirit of God within them and you know that you can no longer walk around in ankle deep faith it's time for us to move beyond the elementary ABCs of our faith and catch fire it's more than you when you prayed a prayer got baptized in water and you left to figure it out I need to know how to how to do spiritual warfare I need to know how to commission angels I need to know how to prophesy I need to know how to lay hands on the sick and they recover I need to know the authority of a believer I 
I need to know how to speak the name of Jesus above every other name. All these things we need to do and more. But God's looking for some people in 2021 to release a brand new passion, a brand new fire, a brand new anointing, a brand new revelation of who he is. There is no longer available to you and I a relationship with God that is ankle deep. He needs somebody to go way out into the water and say, I've never been here before, but I'm trusting you in faith to know that if I get out here, I will be consumed by the fire of God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on. (laughs) Hebrews 5.13. He says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Unacquainted. When you stay at an immature level of faith, what this is saying is that for the immature person, their faith doesn't work and the word doesn't work because of a lack of familiarity with it. This is why you cannot judge. They got saved last week, Pastor. Why are they still doing the same activity? Why does they look the way? I mean, they're still doing all the same crazy stuff that they just got saved from. Because they're still at milk level. They are unfamiliar with the word. They're unfamiliar with everything that will shape who they, are, who they are and who they're going to be. You see, when you are a baby in Christ, the word doesn't work like it should for you because you have no relationship with it yet. Do you have a relationship with your Bible? Interesting, the, the program doesn't work this morning. It's one thing to put it on here, but it's another thing to flip through here. Do you know where Hebrews is? Do you know where First and Second Corinthians are? Do you know where Habakkuk is? Can you spell it? It's okay to say hard name. It's all right. But unskilled babe means simple-minded or immature. And it says that when you are an immature babe in Christ, the word doesn't work for you because of your lack of familiarity with it. Verse 14 of Hebrews 5 says, But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Mature or teleos means a completion of a process or a task. So verse 14, solid food or the stuff that doesn't move and the stuff that doesn't give away comes to those that have a completed process, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. So that process is character development. Somebody say character development. I don't know about you, but I believe in this culture right now in 2021, we need some incredible, deep, incredibly deep character development. We need some integrity. We need some wisdom. We, need, we, we, we really need to be aware of, of what we are being fed and how it's coming in. This, this past weekend was incredible. It was just powerful. And a lot of what, what you saw, I've been hearing over the past year. And... and to be able to do everything that we did. Listen, we pray for our leaders. We, we trust God for our leaders and we thank God for our leaders. But we need the body of Christ to take positions of authority in government. Come on. And, you know, and don't, don't, don't give me this, Pastor. You can't, you can't you know, talk about scripture and, 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 and all this stuff and then talk about the government. This is all about the government. It's about God's kingdom a kingdom to be established on the earth. 
That kingdom has to be established with you and I getting into worldly systems. So there is a worldly governmental system. How do we change those systems by becoming an influence into it? We need the people of God to influence our governmental systems. But as I begin to go through this past year, and, and, and if you were at the conference, you can understand the passion and the unction that Chris Ann has. I told her one time, I said, you're stressing me out. <laughs> and she said, well, you either do this or, or, you know, you don't. I said, well, we have to. Okay, well, this is what you need to do. And while we pray for them, how many of you know that you can disagree? I know this is a wild concept in this culture, but you can still disagree with someone and still love them. You can still pray for them. So even though we may disagree with certain things, don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray. That will help strengthen your faith. That will take you from an ankle-deep relationship with God to a very deep, intimate relationship with God. So these people here have submitted their life to God so that God can test their patience, test their faith, test their prayer life, test their character, build their moral development, Take them to places where they have to trust God. Take them to places to where they have to believe God. And nobody else can help them but God. And they build through this process. And every time they get stronger, their faith gets stronger. And they get more mature and grow up in their faith. And God said, these people, their faith won't move. Their faith won't budge. These people have developed an honorable character um, the, the, uh, honorable character process, a process of integrity, and have their senses exercised exercise to discern both good and evil how many of you know just because it looks good doesn't mean it's right and just because it looks bad doesn't mean it's evil we've got to have the discernment of the holy spirit within us so food belongs to those who are mature, who have this organ of perception in them that they have worked and strengthened to the point that they can see good and evil from a long distance away. People who are mature don't spend their life apologizing after they mess up. Come on, hear me. They don't spend all of their energy cleaning up the mess of their last mistake. People who are of full age and mature, they discern, do I need to be here? Do they need to be here with me? Do I need to be doing this or doing that? Do I need to be involved and invested? They have a discernment that they operate out of. And that discernment has been sharpened by their development that they know when it's evil, they can recognize it before it even walks to the front door and knocks on the door of their heart. Overcoming temptation means you cannot stay in spiritual infancy. You have to grow up. Tell somebody next to you, you got to grow up. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. This is very important. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Remember, we talked about the pride of life, the pride, the, 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 uh, pride of life, the um, um, uh, lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Those three categories which lead us into a place where if we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to quicken and awaken the discernment within us, we can fall right into one of those three categories very easily. 
So this means I've got to study my desires. That's my issue. The reason the enemy has power is that he knows your... How many of you know you got to... Come on, y'all. Let's be real. Everybody's got that thing where it just makes them go... And... Those are the places that are not guarded. When one is tempted, let no one say God is tempting me because God tempts no one, nor can he, tempt, he himself be tempted. Verse 15, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Do not be con- deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. So go back to verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. When I was growing up, guess what it was? The devil made me do it. I didn't want to do it, but the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do it. I probably used that excuse to get out of a, a thousand spankings when I was a kid. Mom, Dad, the devil made me do it. That's, that's, those are the kind of excuses when you grow up as a PK, a preacher's kid. Those are the kind of excuses you get. And then you learn to stuff books in your backside. Come on. And you see, that sounds childish and and, and immature, but in the back of their mind, you have no idea how many adults today think, the devil made me do it. And they have no authority, no control over the situations they find themselves in, but they do. That's what's wrong. You have control. God is not tempting me. The devil is not making me do it. But those arguments no longer can be used as an excuse. God said when you are being tempted, you are being dragged away by something that is already in you. There's a proclivity, there is an iniquity in you that if you are going to catch fire, you've got to deal with. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting in the high chair for generations to come, sipping the bottle and the food with no texture to it, no meat to it, trying to figure out why am I in the same place 20 years after serving God. We've got to get out of the high chair. We've got to get away from the bottle and understand that there is some significant food in here. This is why man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And listen, it takes time to track your issues, but the enemy, and if you're married, they can help you track your issues. Come on, husbands and wives. I remember when we got married. We got married for the first time. My wife started, you know, helping me see things. She said, why do you do that? Well, why do you do that? Because I've always done it this way. Well, that, that's weird. It's not weird. You're weird. <laughs> you know, in our early 20s, trying to figure out the idiosyncrasies of one another. And, and you know... Well, I'll just put a plate in the sink. She'll want it in the dishwasher. It's going to go there eventually. Why has it got to go there right now? (laughs) So sometimes it takes time to track our issues. But God will give you people to help you realize some of those issues are. (laughs) 
And if you have a weakness exposed in your life, the enemy will not attack the place where you're strong. He does not attack the places that you are guarded. He will always go after the places in your life that are vulnerable, that are exposed. If you have vulnerability with a, with, with, with a loose tongue your whole life, then the enemy is going to make sure that Mr. or Mrs. Big Mouth is sitting right next to you and beside you, and you got a bunch of stuff to gossip about after service is over. He's going to make sure that that text comes in with all kinds of information because sister so-and-so said, I want to pray for you, but really sister so-and-so wanted to know what was going on. If you have a vulnerability with loose relationships and all, always, they always plague you, well, then the enemy is going to make sure there are many who think the same way all around you and will continue to affirm that kind of lifestyle. If drugs and, and addiction have been a problem, he'll watch you get to a house right next door with somebody struggling with the very same thing. But sometimes the enemy knows you better than you know yourself. Each one, when he is tempted, is dragged away and enticed by something already in him. Already in him. Understand, the one manipulating something knows there's something under the hood that's connected to it. Galatians 4.1 says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. An heir is the root word in inheritance. H-E-I-R, an heir, is the root word in inheritance. So an heir has something coming to them. And an heir does not differ at all from a slave, though he's owner of it all. So I have an inheritance, but as long as I am locked up in infancy, though I may own the inheritance, my experience is no different than that of a slave. Verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. This is a powerful statement. Many times we hear preachers preaching about harvest, myself included. We preach about harvest. This verse is not talking about harvest. It's talking about inheritance. Harvest is a result of something that we do. I tell you to give, and on the other side, there's a harvest because of your giving that is greater than what you sowed. This is the law of sowing and reaping and is the greatest foundational principle, the greatest foundational law of the kingdom, and it will never change. We can like it or not, ignore it, deny it, but it's never going to change. It doesn't matter how much the, the culture changes. Jesus said, let me tell you the foundation, the foundational law of the kingdom. He said, a sower went out to sow. So God operates his kingdom on seasons. If I want anything to be plentiful there, I'm going to have to. To, some, to sow something. I mean, you know, it, it, it's an incredible gift that we have as a people to be able to sow something. Not just materialistically, not just, not just resources in, 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 into, the, into the work of God, but to into one another. We're built to be relational so we can sow into one another's life. So we can love one another, help equip one another, serve one another. That's a concept, serving one another. I mean, we're, this whole culture is out for me, 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 me. What happens to serving one another? Blessing our neighbors. God's put you in a neighborhood, in a community with neighbors. If you're in an apartment, God's given you hundreds of people possibly that you are called to reach. Don't take the sphere for granted that he's put you in. Work it. Somebody say you got to work it. So we understand that harvest is a result 
of me saying something and there's a harvest. I gave, there's a harvest. I made a decision, there are consequences to that. There are things that we sow and because of what we did, there's a result or a cause and effect. We call it seed, time, and harvest. Say seed, time, and harvest. But the writer here in Galatians is not talking about a harvest. He's talking about an inheritance. Inheritance has nothing to do with what you do, but it has everything to do with who your daddy is. Come on. And you see, inheritance is not something that comes and goes. Why do we keep giving and giving and sowing and sowing? We always keep something in the ground to make sure there's always a harvest coming up in our life so there's not a dry season. But inheritance does not come to come and God says, now this inheritance stays. It doesn't come and go. Harvest is a result of what you do, but inheritance is a result of who you are. You could have not done anything in your whole life, but somebody who can be your daddy, your mama, who can leave you a great level of resources simply because of who you are. You've done nothing for it. You can walk into a blessing that you never did anything for. Well, the Bible says that an heir, as long as he is a child, differs none from a slave, though he's master of it all. So in other words, your parents are having having things set up, and they're about to leave you a $1 billion inheritance. And they say to you, it's yours, but we've written into this inheritance, you can't have it until you're 30. Now, how many of you know what it's like to be in your 20s and have something left to you? I can be 21 years old and living under a bridge, homeless, although I'm master of it all, but because I have not reached a selected level of maturity, I cannot access what rightfully belongs to me. Maturity in the Bible is not by age. Maturity in the Bible is a place that you reach in God. And God wants to know, can we love like God loves in 2021? It is not rude. It is not proud. It is not easily offended. It does not puff itself up. It suffers all things and bears all things. That's maturity. Can we as the people of God, as we catch fire, can we walk in this understanding? Because immature people walk with their feelings on their sleeves and are led by their emotions and make knee-jerk comments and knee-jerk reactions. They can't get over offense. They can't manage long-term relationships. They can't navigate through life's difficulties. They're high one day and they're on a low the next day. You can't can't figure them out. I'm talking about people who let the waves of life come and go, and they go up and down like a roller coaster with it, and they're determined by what's going on around them instead of determined by the covenant in them that they have with God. I'm not governed by my surroundings. God is on the inside of me to will and do His good pleasure. Somebody say, His good pleasure. I don't get governed by my surroundings. I know I can walk into a chaotic atmosphere and God has given you and me the ability to bring order and change. When you walk into an environment at work and they're cutting up and saying stuff and acting crazy and they say, oh, Brother Joe just walked in and they shut it down. Brother Joe, don't get all offended at the fact that they stopped talking the way they were when you walked in the room. See, that is the gift of God, of the Holy Spirit in you, working, and you just shut down things that could have destroyed relationships. You shut down something that could plague your entire workday just by your 
presence in the conversation? Can you walk into an atmosphere that releases joy? I can walk into an atmosphere, you can walk into an atmosphere, and the anointing in my life destroy the yoke and remove the burden. You can walk into an atmosphere that is void of God, open your mouth and begin to praise, and all of a sudden, I have regoverned and reshaped that surrounding. You are sitting in your cubicle, and you're just worshiping under your breath. You've got something on the radio. You've got something playing through your phone that's changing the atmosphere. Nobody knows what's going on, but you are sitting there in that space, and the Holy Spirit of God within you is changing that environment. But you see, immature people are over overcome by what surrounds them and they succumb to the environment that's what we're seeing in this culture they succumb to whatever life hands them but mature people understand that I can change what's happening to me I can change this situation I can overcome my weaknesses I can get a hold of the word of God and I can turn this thing around somebody say late in the midnight hour come on God can turn it around Paul said when I was a child I thought like a child I spoke like a child I acted like a child but when I became a man I put childish things away we've got to have a church that moves out of ankle deep relationship with God where we're giving away donuts and we're giving away happy thoughts on Sunday morning and because we think we're too good we can't get into the depth and the meat of the word of God we've got to understand there is a holy spirit and a holy life that we are to live with a covenant that we are to keep there's a kingdom that we are a part of that we are established to bring into the earth there are keys that we are to use there's a heaven we are to access there's blood the blood of Jesus that sets us free there are gifts that have been put on the inside of you and me and we've got to understand these things or we will be impotent Christians in the earth we will be clouds with no water a form of godless godliness with no power I don't want to be like that come on so I can have mastery and ownership of something great but because I'm still locked in an immature state I can't possess it When my boys and I wrestle now, they can lock me up. It's humbling now to wrestle with them. My wife and I were talking the other day when they first started like like learning to walk and they were starting to run and all that stuff. I'll never forget, I was in their room and I don't know what she was doing, but she heard all the thuds. And she opened the door. She came into the room to see what was going on. She, as she opens the door, one of them flies over me. The other one jumps, the second one jumps, grabs my face while he's jumping, and went straight up my face. When I turned around, my nose was bleeding. My face had cut marks on it. And she was like, dear God, do we have to, is this what we're going to have to experience? Is this how it's going to go? I said, baby, I, you know, we just, we just play. And, you know, and now that they're you know, 16 and, and all that, we still just play, but it's at a different level. <laughs> She'll just leave. She'll just go outside you know, while we, we go at it and we wrestle. But now they can pin me down. And they can hold me and lock up my arms or lock up my legs. One of them squeezed me uh, about a month ago. I thought I was dying, y'all. I thought I, I, thought I was done. I think it was Matai. Matai squeezed the life out of me. I said, boy, don't you ever do that to me again. He goes, dad, that wasn't even as hard as I could do it. (laughs) 
So I started saying, well, it was only because I was at my exhale. That's why you got me. I couldn't inhale. <laughs> but they can lock me up. They couldn't lock me up in a previous season. But now that they've become stronger, they have the ability to navigate certain situations. I can try to put them in a headlock or an arm bar or wrap up their legs, but now they know how to get out of it. They can flip me over and reverse it on me. So when they're not looking, I go downstairs and start working out with their stuff, trying to be strong like them. But they mature, things change. An heir, as long as it, he is a child, is no different than a slave, although he's master of it all. But because of his immaturity, maturity, he can't possess it. In the natural, that is a chronological age, but in the spirit, that is character formation. They're 16, they're stronger, but their character is still developing. Listen, solid food is for the mature. It's a completed process, and solid food goes to those who are in the process of forming their character and integrity. Here we, here we are in a gift and an image-driven culture. We're in a gifted and image-driven culture, and people are no longer interested in character and integrity anymore. It's what can you offer. And it cuts away from the fabric of who we are and who we could be. I don't care how gifted you are. If I can't believe what you say, then none of it matters. If your character and your integrity cannot carry the weight of your words, none of it matters. I don't care how anointed you are. I don't care how many talents you have. If I can't trust you, none of it matters. Understand, those are things that form the inside of a person. The world has gifts, the world has talents, but God's people are supposed to have moral formation on the inside of them that is formed by the foundation of the Word of God that's getting released into them as they journey in their faith. We've got to stop allowing political cultures to tell you what you can and cannot believe morally. The culture does not dictate your conviction. Do you understand we are supposed to live life with a conviction where the power of our convictions are driven so deep that nothing can move you? And what I know about God and what I believe about God is not subject to change. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. It makes me who I am. This is my core. It defines me, what I believe, how I believe, how I live on a daily basis, and how I treat somebody else in my activity. So when I speak of immaturity, it means your gift hasn't been developed yet, but is in process. You are not mature because you've made a lot of money. You are mature when the character of Jesus has taken its root on the inside of you. And when I see you coming, I can expect the same things out of you that I've seen through Jesus. That when you tell me something, I can sleep on that all night. Come on, somebody. Don't you just love somebody who honors their word? That when, when I need you, I know you will be there. That when you spoke, I know it was truth. I know you won't betray me. I know your word is trustworthy. I know you will keep your promises. Those are the things I'm talking about if there's going to be an inheritance. So what's an inheritance anyway? It is a prearranged blessing to be released at a specific time of maturity. It is a prearranged blessing to be released at a specific time of maturity. What if we are filling up churches with hundreds and thousands of immature Christians that never find their inheritance? Because as preachers and teachers and leaders, we have kept people locked in an infantile state. Christians haven't been given the solid food of the Word of God. 
I know some of y'all are getting cold. If we can up the temperature, please, that would be wonderful. Let me challenge pastors and leaders. Just because your people are scared of it, just because you are scared of it, doesn't mean your people are. There are some things you're unwilling to go after, some things you're unwilling to talk about. But just because you are doesn't mean they are. You can't, you, well, I can't let the Holy Spirit loose in our church. Well, you might be scared of the Holy Spirit, Pastor, but 1,500 people in your church are not. I don't know why pastors are afraid of the Holy Spirit. After all, he's the one that, that builds and, and releases the church anyway. Come on. And, and well, we just want to talk about purpose and destiny. No, you don't, because you can't talk about purpose and destiny outside of the Holy Spirit because he's the only one inside of a person who knows what their destiny is. You don't know their destiny. Pastors and leaders can give principles to help the body of Christ enhance and discover that. But only the Holy Spirit within them knows it. The Bible says you have an anointing. And in the anointing, you know all things. Who gives you that anointing? It's the Holy Spirit in the, on the inside of you. The same Holy Spirit that searches the depths of God. The same Holy Spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead can release you into your anointing. The Holy Spirit inside of me knows my past, my present, my future. He's the only one when he comes, he will be your guide. We got churches that won't even mention or let the Holy Spirit in the building, yet they dare to teach on your tomorrow and your destiny. You can't teach on destiny until you've come face to face with the Spirit of God within you. He's the only one that even knows it. We've got inheritance wasted and people living in bondage to slave and sin, even though the reality is they are master and owner of it all but we won't release it from the platform and we keep giving out milk when we should be giving out food come on somebody no more the guy living under the bridge he's homeless he's he feels like he's lost it all but he owns it all but he's not come to that specific time of release for maturity for his maturity for his inheritance in the kingdom there's an inheritance for every child of God but because we oftentimes live in our culture as immature Christians. We can't put our hands on it. Now, this is tough here. But he is under guardians and managers until a time and date set by the Father. So now I have an inheritance, and I can't get my hands on it because I'm locked in an immature state. So he's put me under guardians and stewards. Mentors, teachers, people in authority. So he's put me under them until a time appointed by the Father. So actually, God has locked up your inheritance inside of somebody else. Look at Ruth. Look at Ruth. What was Ruth's inheritance? Boaz. And Boaz owned everything, she was a beggar. Boaz was the richest man in town. What else does she do? She submitted to every single one of Naomi's instructions. And she did exactly what Naomi told her. A guardian, a steward, until a time appointed by the father. She even told her what to do when, you, she, when, when she saw Boaz. Go and lay at his feet. There will come a time. Whose instructions are you listening to that will raise you up and out of your spiritual infancy so you can find, a, find all about what this Christian journey is all about? There's so much more to this life than making sure you had a great experience at church and the temperature was just right. <laughs> How many of you know it's got to be more than that? 
And he, he wants you to be the church and take this atmosphere home with you and live it out every single day. Somebody say, I have an inheritance. Hebrews 5.12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God, and you've come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. What did I tell you when we started out? We've got to track and find out what's under the hood. He can sympathize with the thing in me that the enemy knows how to access. He can sympathize with the areas in me where I'm vulnerable. Jesus does not run from your issues. He tells you to run to him. But one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. So we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, so let us come to him for grace and mercy in our time of need. God already knows there will be a continual extension of grace and mercy that's needed. Why? Because we have weaknesses. Is there any perfect person in this place today? So if you have church hurt and you've experienced church hurt, now you know why. There's no perfect person. This is a place where each and every one of us are being equipped to heal, to be made whole, to come into the greatest experience with God that we've ever known. God already knows there will be a continual grace, an extension of grace. Sympathize. What does that mean? This means to be affected with the same feeling as another. There are some things I can't sympathize with because I've never experienced it. I can talk about Childbirthing because I've watched four children be born, but I can't sympathize with that. I've never felt it. Obviously, I've never felt it, but I'm just saying. I can, I, I can, I can hear, I can watch, I can see, but I can't sympathize. The word sympathy means you feel what they feel because you've had the same experience. We need to minister to one another who have experienced similar issues in life because we know that feeling. We know what it meant to hurt like that. But yet on the other side, we know what it means to recover and to be made whole. We see that Jesus can feel the same stuff you feel and remember. Remember that God became man. He didn't stay in heaven and say, be saved. He took on the form of man and he emptied himself. He humbled himself to come and feel what it was like to be you and me. That's why we are so attracted and in love with Jesus because when I come to him with my weakness, I know he's not going to take off and run away. He's going to come running to me. Why? Because he came out of heaven and took on a body just like me and he knows what it means to feel what I feel and experience what I experienced. Jesus had been tempted at all points, but he never sinned. That's the difference between us and him. He felt what you feel, but he didn't do what you did. So he was tempted yet without sinning. Weakness refers to what confines someone from enjoying what they could be. Weakness refers to what confines someone and keeps them from enjoying who they could be. So we have a high priest 
who can feel the same thing I feel. He knows what it's like to be kept from everything that he could be. So the very definition of God means you cannot occupy space and time, but the Bible says Jesus left his space and glory to become a man. Then all of a sudden, he occupies space and time. In other words, he knew what it was to be like you and me. One of the characteristics of God is that he is omnipresent. He's everywhere at one time. But Jesus had to be right here and tell the other one, hold on, I'm coming. And because he came here and gave up many of those attributes, he was able to feel what it was like to be us. When you catch fire, you no longer are attracted to the things that pull you away from God. You are attracted what pulls you closer to him. When we look around our culture and we see everything that's plaguing this generation, we've got to have people who are on fire for God. We've got to have people who are uniquely dedicated to discovering the gift of God that is within them and who will not be persuaded based on what's happening in the culture, based on what the generations are saying right now. We've got to get a word and a revelation on who you are, what you've been called to walk in, what your future looks like so that we can unlock the infantile state of the body of Christ that we've seen over the past generations and we've got to step out as the church into deep water and to say I don't know what it's like to be out here but all I know is deep calls into deep so I know if I want to understand the deep things of God I've got to get out on some deep faith I've got to get out of the boat I've got to be number 12 and step out of the boat in some faith and experience a brand new awakening of God in my life there is nobody that can influence God's power in your life because you have caught fire and you refuse to let that fire die you've got to get a people who are helping that fire stay illuminated and lit you've got to get around people who can speak a life who can bring correction to help steward the gift of God that is within you and you've got to make sure that your tomorrow is aligned with the will and purpose of God don't let temptation pull you don't be distracted but be completely focused on who God has called you to be hold grab hold of your tomorrow don't release it and let it go without getting a word on it you got to get a word on your future you got to get a word on your today so that you can step into the greatest season you've ever known somebody standing your feet this morning and say i am catching fire